When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello and welcome to Star Diary, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Greetings listeners and welcome to Star Diary, a weekly guide to the best things to see in the Northern Hemisphere's night sky. As we are based here in the UK, all times are in BST. In this episode, we'll be covering the coming week from the 22nd to the 28th of May. I'm Ezzy Pearson, the magazine's features editor, and I'm joined this week by reviews editor Paul Money. Hello, Paul. Hello, Ezzy. Looking forward to some nice, exciting events now. Oh, do we have anything good to look forward to this week? Please do share. Well, there's all sorts going on. I think we should start off with, though, the fact that this is the beginning, really, of the noctilucent cloud season. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, these are night shining clouds that you can see. And they sort of, I always think of them as the replacement for aurora in the spring and autumn skies. This is the summer glory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have seen aurora in the summer, but they are rare. It has to be a really good display to be seen so well against a bright night sky. But I have actually seen them in July, which was a bit of a shock, I can can tell you. (laughs) Aurora are happening the year round. It's just in the winter, they are happening at the time when the sky is properly dark and you can actually see them. So, yeah, you do need to have a very bright aurora to be able to see them in the twilight. I know it's quite something, but uh, yeah, these are, these are quite bright silvery blue clouds. Um, in the evening time, you want to be looking about an hour to an hour and a half after sunset and look towards the northwestern horizon. And uh, although the skies will be bright, you know, you do send to, if you see these shimmering clouds, now bear in mind, if there's the moon up, then the moon will illuminate ordinary clouds. But these are quite low down unless you get a really extensive display. Now, you know, if you get a big display, it can go mad. But I've had displays that have lasted 10 minutes and gone. They are a bit like aurora in that respect. You know, they can sort of shimmer up and they can just fade. And it's down to ice particles. The ice forms around particles of dust, which we think come from meteors entering the upper atmosphere. So it's the ice forming around these particles. And they're so high up, anywhere from 50, or about 50 miles up, say about 82 kilometers uh, in new money. And so, you know, they're fairly high up. So they can still see the sun. So that's why we still see these shining. And what I tend to find is that normal clouds by then should be low enough that if there's no moon around to illuminate the cloud, they should appear dark. 
And you can actually see them sometimes against the noctilucent clouds. So there's often that subtle little structure in them. And they can move quick. They can be quite slow at times, but you can have fast-moving noctilucent clouds, like wisps developing and spreading across that northwestern sky. And technically, through the night, it gradually moves northwards. And then in the morning, you see them in the morning sky towards the northeast, around about, say, sort of an hour, an hour and a half, before sunrise, if it gets too close to sunrise, the sun, the brightness of the sky completely overwhelms them. But they can be very pretty, and they say they're, they're not too lucent because they're night-shining clouds. That's what it actually means. So well worth looking out for. And this will go on until about August, probably about mid-August, although I have seen a display once in September. But that was a very rare occurrence. I, I think mm-hmm. I've only ever seen the one. I've only ever heard of a couple. So, uh, But as a rule, we tend to think of August as being the main cutoff. So that's one thing to start looking out for from hour one. I think because it's uh, noctilucent clouds, it's the sunlight reflecting off of ice crystals in a layer of the upper atmosphere. Exactly which one escapes me at the moment? Mesosphere, if I remember Mesosphere. Thank you, Paul. And there's all kinds of things that affect how much ice crystals there. One is is the temperature. So because of the weird way that the atmosphere works, the like, the mesosphere and the ground sort of go opposite each other. So the warmer it is on the ground, the cooler it is in the mesosphere and vice versa. Um, so that's kind of like when it's cold in the winter, that's why you don't get them up there as much during the winter, which is, it's one of those things that kind of, there's so much in, in astronomy that's backwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the duty is if, if you if you go to Australia, you can you can see the ones in Australia when it's our exactly. winter time because it's summer for them. So they get yeah. the displays then sort of thing. And places like spaceweather.com are very good for keeping an eye on the yeah. because they have specific charts which actually show the activity at the time. So uh, it's quite interesting to follow that. So they're usually a good guide, both for the aurora, to be honest, and for noctilucent clouds. So as well as a host of other information, but of course, sort of thing, come to Sky at Night magazine first. <laughs> we do, of course, have lots of guides about how to see the noctilucent clouds and uh, how to know what to look for. So if you want to just take a look at what you're looking for, uh, do head over to www.skyatnightmagazine.com and I will put a link in the show notes below as well. See, we're so obliging, aren't we? Moving on then, um, we are in late May now, May the 23rd. Now, this is a daylight thing. Um, it's, it's not an occultation as such, but I always think it's fascinating because the moon, even as a crescent, you usually can pick it up in daylight. It surprises a lot of people you can see it in daylight, but you can see it. And we're looking around about, say, about midday, because if you look at the crescent moon and find it uh, at midday, then this is the 23rd of May. Look with binoculars. Don't go too far to one side because you obviously get too close to the sun. But look to the lower right of the moon. And if you see a dot of light, that's Venus in daylight. Mm. Now, very rarely, I have, I've seen it a couple of times in daylight without the moon being there. But conditions really do have to be, like you said about the atmosphere, the sky has to be a really rich blue with no haze whatsoever. Yeah. You get the slightest haze, it's going to wipe it out. But if you've got a really rich blue sky, then that pinprick of light, if you've got good eyesight, they'll actually pick out quite well. But binoculars will make it easier. So have a search around the moon on the 23rd of May, around about midday, look slightly to the lower right, and you should see this dot light, which is the planet Venus in daylight. And the fact that the moon's next to it gives you an handy guide, doesn't it? Uh, this moon, it's annoying to some, but it is very useful at other times as well. 
it, it is quite good for finding your way around the night sky. So as you usually say, if you can't find the moon, probably not a great day to do astronomy, unless it's a new moon. <laughs> yeah, that's, tr- that's true. And then you hope for a solar eclipse sort of thing, but it, it needs to be a scheduled one. If there's an unscheduled solar eclipse, mm. worry. We have bigger watch- problems. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Or you're watching a, a movie without realising it. <laughs> Now, the next evening, we're looking towards, we're sort of like keeping to the evening sky for most of this session. And so May the 24th, around about 10 o'clock, you know, 10 p.m., look for Venus and Mars have been dominating the evening skies now for quite a long time. And Venus is slowly catching up with Mars. But for reasons we can't go into at the moment, it will not catch it. It will not catch up with it this time. And so they'll always keep a separation, but it w- they will close the gap. And on the 24th, we mentioned the moon was close to Venus on the 23rd of the day. Say, so, well, it's actually above Mars. So on the 24th, around about 10 o'clock. So Venus is in Gemini. It'll form a bit of a triangle with Castor and Pollux as well, sort of thing, hanging down below them. Mars is off to their upper left, and the moon will be, a, again, the moon is a guide. If you can't find the moon, give up. <laughs> Probably watch out for bats flying around at night, because that's a nice thing to do. I like that. I There's sometimes like little additions to my observing session when I get visited by either cats, hedgehogs, or bats, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. They just add a little bit extra to your observing session. But yeah, the moon is a thick crescent now, and it's above Mars for this particular time. And to their left, you've also got the cluster, Messier 44, the beehive cluster. So you'll be able to sweep that up with binoculars as well. And I mention that because next week we will actually find Mars creeping up and closing in and going into the cluster itself. So that's something to look mm. forward to, isn't it? Little preview for next week there. We jump to May the 26th and 27th. And the moon has gone past the beehive cluster. It's gone past, in actual fact, the constellation of Cancer. Now it lies just to the right, in actual fact, of Eta Leonis. And I mention that because the brighter star below to the left is actually Regulus. That's the main star of Leo the lion. And so you'll notice the moon and Regulus is much brighter than Eta. Uh, so, you know, that's the key sort of thing. You'll see this bright star. So the bright star will be to the lower left. But if you have binoculars, you will see this other star to the left of the moon. And the moon will creep closer to Eta. It doesn't occult it. It goes under it this time. And then the next night, it's actually first quarter. So we, the moon, I always think it's first quarter sort of thing. You know, the moon is half phase. It, again, astronomy is odd, isn't it? Sort of thing. It's a half illuminating moon. But what we mean, it's gone a quarter around its orbit from new mm. sort of thing. So it's first quarter and it'll lie to the left hand side, the upper left of regulars this time. But there is something else in this region worth just picking up. If you've not got uh, a minor planet, an asteroid, for another word, sort of thing, a uh, dwarf planet now in particular, because it got converted, because Ceres, which was the first minor planet to be discovered, Ceres is quite close to the star Denebola, which is the point, the tip, the far left of Leo the lion. So it's worth having a look around there. And if you make a little drawing without cheating and using software to identify which one it is, make a drawing. If you get a couple of nights, the one that's moved will be series, the minor. That's how you know these things. It's, it's great for photographers as well to take photos. I've got a friend of mine yeah. doing a sequence at the moment sort of thing, whereby he's taking a sequence showing it, moving past this particular star because it's quite close. It's handy when, again, like the moon guidance to some things, when there's a bright star and it guides you on to a minor planet, or in this case, 
a dwarf planet as well. Now, you won't mistake them because the nebula is magnitude plus 2.1 and Ceres is plus 8.1. <laughs> so a significantly fainter minor world there sort of thing. So we get to the end of this particular week, and that's May the 28th. And we now, I'm sorry, but it's the morning sky. Yes, we've got to have something from the morning sky, haven't we? We can't have it all in the evening sky, for heaven's sake. And we're actually looking out because we've got three planets. One is just emerging. And we're looking at around about 3.30, 3.40 in the morning. In the morning twilight, you've got Saturn. That's in Aquarius. You've got Neptune. Now, you'll need binoculars or a telescope for Neptune is a lot fainter. And then if you keep watching over towards sort of like the, well, the east-northeast horizon, you'll see a bright planet, a bright dot slowly creep up from the horizon. And that's the return of Jupiter, the return of the king, <laughs> Jupiter. <laughs> so, uh, yes, uh, Jupiter's beginning to come back. And uh, it's being bright. You get it earlier than some of the fainter planets. Uh, like Neptune and even Saturn, really. So uh, Jupiter is actually back. But I say around about 3.30, 3.40, about 3.40 is when Jupiter will rise. But do bear in mind, wherever you are in the United Kingdom, you will find that will vary. So further north, you'll have to wait a little bit later, sort of thing. You know, you, you see the problem, sort of thing. You, you have to adjust your time. So we tend to do these timings for the middle of the country, mm. trying to be fair to everybody. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So if so, if there's know. ever a uh, specific time for anything astronomical, whether that's, you know, sunrise or a moonrise or when an occultation is going to happen, it always pays to, to double check exactly when that's going to happen. And also get set up a couple of minutes early, just in case your watch is a bit off. But yes, it certainly sounds like there are lots of fascinating things to see in the night sky. And if you want to keep up to date with all of the latest stargazing tips, please do subscribe to the podcast. So in summary, this week, noctilucent cloud season begins. So keep an eye out for those night shining clouds. Then on the 23rd of May, the crescent moon will be near the planet Venus. On the 24th, the moon and Mars will be near M44, the beehive cluster. Moving on to the 26th and 27th, the Moon will pass by Eta Leonis and Regulus, and the dwarf planet Ceres will pass by Denebola on the tail of Leo. Then on the 28th, Saturn and Neptune will be in the morning sky, and you might even be able to catch a glimpse of Jupiter as it makes its return. So thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today, Paul. That's a pleasure. And thank you very much, everybody at home, for listening. If you want to find out even more spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky throughout the month, be sure to pick up a copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a 16-page pull-out sky guide with a full overview of everything worth looking up for. Whether you like to look at the moon, the planets, or the deep sky, whether you use binoculars, telescopes, or neither, our sky guide has got you covered with the detailed star charts to help you track your way across the night sky. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skynightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify. 